Hello, and welcome back to the American Research Center in Egypt podcast. This is our second release of the podcast that will focus on RC's conservation and documentation archives funded by USAID. Each of our guests are world-renowned scholars in the fields of Egyptology, Coptic, Islamic, and modern Egyptian history, archaeology, and so much more. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find out more about our other programs and activities, including virtual lectures and tours, by visiting our website at rc.org. That's A-R-C-E dot org. You can also visit our archives open access platform at archives.rc.org. You can also support our work by joining our mailing list, becoming a member, or donating to support this podcast. Today's episode is the story behind the Akhenaten Talatat blocks with Dr. Rawia Ismail and conducted by RC's archives manager, Andreas Kostopoulos. If you want to listen to our other episodes, visit the RC podcast page or on Apple, Spotify, and Google. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the episode. Dr. Rawia Ismail has worked for more than 35 years in Egyptology-related fields. For several years, she has guided tours on, the regular, on a regular basis for international travel companies, including Bales Worldwide, Swan Hellenic, and Ancient World Tours. She regularly guides academic groups for scholarly institutions, such as the American Research Center in Egypt, Amarna Trust, Friends of the Manuel Palace Museum, Archaeological Paths and the Society for the Study of Ancient Egypt. She served as Assistant Director to the Talatat Project at Karnak Temple, a USAID-funded RC conservation project. Her breadth of experience includes serving as an academic consultant to the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization, currently partly open, and directing the Cairo Office um, of the British Egypt Exploration Society for 10 years, during which she finished her PhD program. Hello, Ravia, if I may. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. It was nice, it's nice having you here. And I really look forward to this. Thank you very much. So a few words about the project that we're gonna talk about today. So part of the American Research Center in Egypt, greater project umbrella of Honshu Temple Conservation in Karnak Temple Complex at Luxor, the Talatat project had documented approximately 16,000 sandstone blocks from buildings constructed at Karnak by Ahenaten in the early years of his reign. The blocks are stored in a magazine adjusting to the west wall of the Honsu Temple, which is known as the Pennsylvania Magazine. The project started in 2008 and was completed in 2012. So, Ravia. Uh, can you tell us a few words about the King Ahenaten and what are these uh, Talatat blocks? Yes, well, um, Akhenaten is, um, is quite an extraordinary king, actually. He uh, came to the throne as a regent to his father, uh, Amenhotep III, uh, as Amenhotep IV. And uh, so quickly he changed his name uh, after the death of his father. Uh, he, he spent his first maybe four or five years in Luxor before he moved to Amarna, um, away from the control of the priests of Amun-Ra and Luxor. Um, and, and, and you could easily understand their power when you walk through a place like Karnak and see the massive constructions mm -hmm. and learn about the many shipyards they had, uh, uh, how many ships and you know the number of cattle slaughtered every day, offerings, all these things. 
would uh, uh, give you um, an understanding of why Akhenaten left uh, Luxor and went to uh, Amarna, uh, but that's really uh, beside our subject here. We're talking about the four years that he had, or five years he had at Luxor. It seems that he was in haste to uh, build uh, much work uh, um, for uh, um, his new god, the Aten, uh, in Luxor, um, uh, in Karnak Temple mainly. Uh, and unfortunately, he after he left to Amarna and spent his maybe 11, 12 years and, and, and after he passed away, his successor kings were totally against all what he did and destroyed uh, all his work that he left in Karnak, reusing these pieces of stones to uh, fill uh, their later buildings, their uh, entrances, towers, or the so-called pylons, uh, which is a Greek word. Uh, um, when he was building these buildings, because he had no time to do it in a proper way, maybe this is why he invented the size of stone. Uh, uh, the smaller stones or his architect are the ones who um, um, advised him to use this smaller size of stones. Um, they're like 50, between 48 to 55 centimeters long um, um, and about 25 wide and about 20, sometimes between 19 to 25 uh, in height. Uh, so these smaller stones uh, are what was found filling many later buildings uh, in Karnak, um, starting from the 19th century. Um, in the 18, in, um, the first time they came to life was actually maybe 1820s, and then later on at the end of the 1800s, uh, like in the 1880s, they started to come in such a great number, hundreds of thousands of them were filling these pylons found by the French, and this is when they had to find a place to stack them. And unfortunately, they were all stacked in the open air in areas against the walls, the mud brick walls of Karnak, um, until the 1950s, and they found out that they're open to the elements, so they had to start uh, doing something uh, uh, about them. Um, and this is when um, um, they, they were kept in magazines. The, the amount of Tanatat maybe mount up to well, around uh, 100,000, but they're not all inscribed. The inscribed ones and the painted ones are somewhere between 40 to 50,000. Uh, the rest were left in situ, uh, whether uh, uh, under the hypersidable floor or in their place in these pylons. Uh, so that's what uh, generated like seven or maybe eight store magazines around Karnak for the Tanatat. Right. Um, the project team that you directed um, was using the acronym uh, ATP, which stands for Akhenaten Talatat Project. However, there was an earlier documentation project with an identical acronym, ATP, this time standing for Akhenaten Temple Project. Can you tell us more about the earliest Akhenaten Temple Project, please? Yes, when, when these Talatat uh, uh, were stacked um, somewhere in the 50s, we're not really sure when. Uh, the largest group of these Talatat, uh, which were again is the western wall of Karnak, had uh, walls built around them and uh, a roof, a asbestos roof. Uh, um, and this is when um, Dr. Redford and his team got involved with this collection, especially amongst many other hundreds of thousands of these Talatat. They got involved with this collection in the so-called Akhenaten Temple project. 
Um, uh, and this, this project was actually which started, uh, I think, in 1966. Uh, um, it, it was mainly to photograph all these 16,000 blocks um, uh, and, and have a sort of like a, 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 a record, a photographic record for them. Um, um, and and, um, uh, and then is when they started working in it, they didn't really know where these stones came from. Uh, until further down in the project, maybe in the early 70s, uh, when they found out, when they, there was some more cleaning outside of the eastern wall of Karnak, uh, they found out some remains of uh, little bits and pieces of statues, some extra Teletan stones, this is when, for the first time, they've established the fact that all these thousands of Talatat came from the eastern side of Karnak, where maybe around between six and maybe eight temples or uh, buildings were built by Akhenaten to his god, Theatun, in this area. Right. So I assume that for all these years, um, after the, the photographic documentation of uh, Dr. Uh, Redford had done, uh, was completed in like the 70s. I mean, all these blocks that were like stored in the Pennsylvania magazine. And then sometime like in 2008, you start this project, right? And you visit the magazine, you know, the Pennsylvania magazine. So can you just describe to us like how, how it was it like the state of the magazine, how, how, what was the first thing that you saw like when you entered the magazine, you know, in 2008? Personally, have you have you been there before? No, actually, this is what I was going to say. Is personally for me, it was a mixture of feeling. It was both uh, a very happy feeling and and, uh, and also a sad feeling because I have never been inside any of these magazines before. I've only seen them passing by from the outside. So when we actually had the seal moved from the door and the doors open, it was like uh, a great joy to me to be able to see this. Uh, uh, once and for all, but unfortunately, the devastating state that these stones were in uh, in the magazine was such a, um, a sad uh, thing and uh, it gave us a very dramatic feeling, uh, especially looking at the state that most of them uh, were in. So, do you have an image of the first thing that you saw, like the stacks, the the roof? Yeah, right? well. Actually, yes, it was it was such a, um, a dramatic thing, as I said, that quite a big part of the roof, the asbestos sheet roof, had gaps in between, and that led a lot of rainwater through the years. You're talking from the 1970s until 2008, so almost 40 years. Uh, maybe they've opened it in one stage or another because there was different. Uh, um, organization for it. Some of the smaller stacks that were originally there uh, disappeared maybe because of the underground water effect and maybe they've collapsed, uh, but they've changed their places. So they must have uh, been entered at one stage by the antiquities people, but uh, not to our um, knowledge. Uh, so for 40 years, this place was closed and unfortunately there were windows that would let a lot of insects, uh, a lot of fox uh, um, um, or maybe other animals were under walls and went in mm -hmm. under the stacks. 
Uh, unfortunately, all these stacks were built on mud brick mustabas, very, very low mustabas. So that was very soft. Uh, and with the effect of these borrowing and underground water, uh, it caused a lot of uh, damage to the stacks. Most of them were not standing vertically any longer. And they were leaning to different sides. Some of them already collapsed and the blocks were on the floor in the middle of all these damp earth. Uh, uh, as a cause uh, of underground water. So it was in such a, a very, very sad state uh, to many, especially the lower stacks, the lower layers of each of the stacks. You are listening to the official podcast of the American Research Center in Egypt. More information about RC's conservation projects is available at archives.rc.org. And if you would like to support the RC podcast, please visit rc.org slash podcast. Now we will go back to our episode, the story behind the Akhenaten Talatat blocks with Dr. Rawaya Ismail. So Rawaya, um, can you please describe the different work stages of the project? I understand that one of the first things was the photographic documentation of the blocks. Uh, that was like in early 2008, yes, correct? Yes, that's true. It was August uh, 2008. And uh, it was the three of us, me, Jocelyn and Matthews, the photographer. And that was the most important thing, was to take uh, everything in picture, record how the state of the magazine was before we started working. Um, and um, that was uh, stage number one of the work. We spent a week taking pictures of general pictures to the magazine and individual ones to each of the stacks and sometimes even individual ones to each of the blocks themselves in such uh, uh, the state that they were in uh, so that we have all recorded for the before uh, the work state. And then when we finished that and we came back to Cairo, we, we had the stage of working with the database, of creating the database. Jocelyn with the IT, uh, Zakaria at our, at our C office in Cairo, uh, we're working on how to make a proper uh, uh, entry to all what we needed to record. So you designed and the database here, yeah, right? Exactly, mm -hmm. he was helping Jocelyn to design the database and he was such a great help uh, all through the project, we would call him at any time of the day to ask certain questions because none of us was uh, expert in IT, so he would help in, in, uh, in so many things. Uh, and after finishing with that, uh, during we were doing that in Cairo, we've already had people cleaning uh, the, between the stacks and the magazine, cleaning all this rubbish for years and also building, um, uh, like enlarging the uh, floor uh, around the, uh, there was like a pavement in cement around the magazine, so they've enlarged this to be wide enough for the tent, the work tent, uh, that we started working in when we went. Uh, so that was done during uh, creating the database in Cairo, and then we went and started the work, uh, and that was in two seasons, in uh, 2000. Um, uh, uh, nine and ten um, in two seasons. And uh, while we were doing this, we were working still on the database, but in the sort of short version of it. Mm -hmm. And there were more uh, work done to put the details uh, later on, which took another year after that, until uh, we wrapped up everything and uh, finished. Right. So um, I understand that there were lots of engineering challenges and decisions made. 
um, like supporting the leaning stacks, for example, or construct the conservation area where you like doing the conservation of the blocks or like building new mastabas and many much more. Uh, how well prepared is an Egyptologist to take engineering decisions? Uh, well, that was just uh, that was just uh, in giving orders, but not really uh, uh, it being involved in the engineering techniques or anything. Mm -hmm. really just uh, uh, thinking about the, the the first of all the the stacks that were leaning and about to really collapse. Uh, we've asked the uh, Rais Mahmoud, who was the uh, overseer of all the workers, Egyptian workers that were involved in this project. He was such a great help. He would go and get whoever that is needed of uh, carpenters uh, uh, or maybe some uh, building uh, workers uh, and so on. Uh, and, and they are the ones who sort of consolidated some of the openings in the roof, uh, built the mastabas. Uh, with certain insulation to keep it away from underground water uh, and uh, did uh, these wooden supports to the leaning stacks, as well as also supplying us with many, uh, I can't remember the number, but maybe around 40 or 50 of these wooden trays, uh, because some of the Talatat were in such a devastated state that you can't handle them over and over again, you just put them on one of these trays and keep it. Uh, safe no matter how many times we move it, as well as shelving also to put those who uh, were not to be put back uh, on the stack uh, for uh, security or for uh, preservation purposes. Right, so I understand that you and the project director, Dr. Jocelyn Gohari, you were like just supervising all this Absolutely, engineering yeah, yeah. intervention, right? We tell Mahmoud that we want that, we want this, and he would take it from us and do the whole job. Right, right. So um, let's go back to the database entry. So um, when you were creating the database, uh, you documented the blocks using a six-digit number, which incorporates the original stack number assigned by the previous Ahenaten Temple project. Uh, you want to tell us more about your decision to keep uh, the same numbering system or what was the yeah, difference yes, between well, the previous documentation? The, 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 there was a difference actually between Dr. Redford's project to the Ahenaten Temple project in the 60s and ours in terms of we were taking every single stone out. Uh, but they, in their project, they took photographs of each of the Talatat in situ. They didn't really move them, and they put the numbering on the stones uh, directly in their place. Um, uh, and they, 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 they had a different numbering system because they numbered each of the stacks in, in different numbers. Uh, but for us, we were trying to keep their number numbering only as a stack number mm -hmm. and the only reason for that is hopefully uh, on the assumption that they belong to each other in each stack they came from the same place on the hope that that was the case uh, that they came from the same place so in in the hope of maybe putting them together at one stage you would have mostly the pieces of the puzzle complete and together in one group that's why we had to keep the original ATP or the Akhenaten Temple project of Dr. Redford uh, stacks numbers uh, and add to it our numbers uh, that were created by our project. So they're not the same numbers. And as far as we could do that in the database, we have the archive number of the Akhenaten Temple project, the 60s, mm -hmm. the 1960s one, if we could find that, but sometimes it was hard to find. Right. Um... 
So would you like to tell us more about how you met uh, Dr. Jocelyn Gokhari? Uh, what moved you to work on the Ahena Temple, that project? Can you tell us a little bit of yeah, the well, background history? Well, my relationship with Dr. Jocelyn is a very uh, sort of lifelong relationship. I knew Jocelyn from my early years of career. Uh, I used to know her name uh, as uh, the wife of my professor who taught me hieroglyphs at college for four years. Uh, but uh, the first time to put a face uh, on the name uh, was when I met Dr. Jocelyn, uh, when she used to come um, as a guest lecturer to some of the tours I did as a guide in, uh, in the 80s, in the end of the 80s. Uh, um, and we did a lot of work together then. Uh, for years, uh, I knew her. And then uh, when I left guiding and went to the Egypt Exploration Society to run their office in Cairo, she was already guiding some of their trips, and I was very happy to keep her doing this job because uh, uh, I, I had a lot of other logistics to worry about, uh, although I was doing guiding, but she was doing a great job uh, helping uh, in that section uh, and leaving me worry about the logistics because most of our visits were like having places open to us for the first time. and. Uh, and, and we were really thrilled to see most of these out of the tourist uh, track uh, places. Uh, like I remember very much when she, uh, as long as uh, uh, with me as well, uh, crying in tears when we had Akhenaten Royal Tomb open for us for the first time. It was not then open for public and many other places. Um, after I left the society, the Egypt Exploration Society, and she also did uh, for different reasons, uh, we kept in touch uh, every now and then, and in two years' time, she calls me and says that uh, the American Research Center in Cairo approached her to um, uh, do um, uh, uh, a database study on the Talatat uh, uh, magazine of Pennsylvania Magazine, and uh, uh, they asked her to find an assistant, and she thought of me, uh, uh, and, and she said this, I was really thrilled. Uh, for so many reasons. Um, one is to get in touch with Jocelyn again and work with her. Uh, we've always made a wonderful team uh, and worked together very well uh, to work with the American Research Center, that was of course an honor, and to work uh, with the Talatat, uh, which is something very interesting, and to you know, know that you have to uh, uh, walk through Karnak every day to reach the magazine, that was another uh, really um, um, sort of uh, happy reason for me to join the Metallica. So uh, without thinking, I said, of course, I'm in. Right. I assume that um, there was a very, um, it was a big team working with you, um, a very diverse team, like from people from different specialties, like uh, Egyptologists, uh, conservators, photographers, uh, uh, local workmen. Um, do you feel that the diversity of the team and the different skill sets and experiences contributed to the overall success of the project? Yes, actually, absolutely. That was that was very important because this project is not like an individual work. It's a, it takes a teamwork to do it in a successful way, and um, it's not just the different skills. It's the different nationalities as well that were involved that were more education educating. Uh, to all of us, uh, it was like we were we were like sort of working as on a convoy built. Everybody had his role in in the uh, in the operation, and uh, 
after maybe the first two or three days, it went automatically uh, uh, as if we'd been doing it for ages. Uh, so the workers would go in, put the stones on a trolley and then bring it out uh, for the first cleaning. And then it goes to the con conservators table where they do the needed uh, second cleaning. And then it comes to us where we take the, the needed notes on the stones uh, before they go to the photographers. So it went on, uh, it comes out of the magazine on a trolley, but after this, it moves between tables by uh, the help of the Egyptian workers to carry it individually, individual blocks from one table to the other. So uh, uh, it, it was um, quite a, um, a big uh, sort of range of nationalities. We had Egyptians, me and the workers, and the, one of the conservators and the, the inspectors assigned to our mission from the antiquities, we had Americans, the photographers, we had uh, um, a restorer, Japanese restorer, so we had different nationalities and British Jocelyn, of course, who I don't really consider her British because she lived half of her life in Egypt, so she's half Egyptian, half British. Uh, uh, but um, so, you know, you, you learn from all these different nationalities and each one was uh, involved in doing what he was uh, especially doing, which certainly, certainly added to the success of this project. Amazing experience having to work with all these people, different specialties, different nationalities, genders, amazing. Yeah. Um, do we have any unexpected discovery or a finding in the magazine during the documentation of the blogs that you would like to share with us, Rawia? Well, actually, working in Karnak as such a large place is uh, full of surprises on day-to-day -day basis. And you have thousands of people coming to visit this place every day. You have um, many missions working on different sides of Karnak. So there, there, there were so many things. What is, what is special about the Talatat project maybe uh, was... Uh, finding at the end of the project more than 400, maybe they were like 460 or something like this, uh, of non-talatat. And that was quite a surprise of having stones amongst all these thousands of talatat, but they were not talatat. Uh, and by the way, where talatat comes from the Egyptian word for three, uh, and that's uh, talata, number talata. Uh, maybe it was given by the workers when they first excavated them uh, in the fillings of later buildings in Karnak, and they found that they are uh, like three uh, hand stretches, because uh, this is how uh, Egyptians in the countryside or in the old days used to measure things uh, with their hand stretch. Uh, so maybe this is where the word comes from. So the non-talatat were uh, quite a surprise to find in such a big quantity in the magazine. Uh, there was also a discovery of a small, a uh, little bit smaller than life-size statue, only the big, the bottom part of uh, a kneeling statue for Akhenaten, with his name uh, very clearly uh, inscribed on the back pillar. Um, many surprises. To me personally, it may have not much to do with Salatat, but visiting the work of the American Research Center in the nearby Honsu Temple and finding for the first time um, um, turning with modern techniques of restoration these black walls, completely blackened by a suit of uh, um, smoke, uh, long years of usage of oil lamps and uh, cooking and so on by the later uh, Christians hiding inside these temples. Um, bringing uh, what's underneath this suit back to life with such vivid, lovely colors, wonderful scenes, 
uh, was a total surprise to me. And ever since I kept thinking, looking at any of these blackened scenes that I see uh, on walls of temples all over Egypt, that for God's sake, come and work here and bring back uh, these things uh, to us so that we can see it in a good way. So yes, working in Karnak, uh, as such a large place, is full of surprises, and some of them are very happy surprises too. Even for yourself as an Egyptologist Absolutely. who's been here like there so many times. today, going to Karnak, every time I come out with something new, it's a huge record of 2,000 years of history. So imagine how many years you need to cover every inch of it. You know, you learn it every day. Uh, so imagine if you were there every day involving in a project, uh, how many surprises are hidden there for you. Right. Well, that was a great uh, talk we had today, Ravia. Thank you very much. I enjoyed Thank it you. a lot. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Um, I would like to say here that uh, the Ahenaten uh, Talatat project is a conservation and documentation project that was fully digitized and published online under ARCE's archive website. Uh, please feel free to go online and review the records. As for the database that we, that uh, Raya so generously was describing, is not yet published, um, but uh, it's available to researchers uh, when if they visit their Cairo offices. For once more, thank you very much, thank Raya. You just listened to the story behind the Akhenaten Talatat blocks with Dr. Rawia Ismail and RC's archives manager, Andreas Kostopoulos. Please visit our website at rc.org podcast for more information or contact us via email at podcast at rc.org. We invite you to catch up on past episodes of the RC podcast via Apple, Spotify, or Google. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time.